0: I almost said good morning. It's not morning. Good afternoon. I'm excited about looking together with you at baptism, and um, the subject that we'll talk about today, so there we go. All right, we can pull ourselves in. Um, I I always find it really distracting and tempting to watch the kids going out. I don't know if that hits you as well. Definitely hits me. Um, I would just comment here. I have very much enjoyed already the short time that we've had to get to know some of you, and if we haven't met you yet, please, I would be delighted to get to be introduced to you, and um, my wife Sarah as well, and then our four kids. But I wanted to look with you this morning at a topic that is anticipating something we have coming up, I guess, in about a month or a month and a half, and that is the topic of baptism. So here's a opening thought. I'll just Put this out there. Uh, some of you are married. Some of you, um, maybe some of you have been married longer than I've been alive. So congratulations to you, and I, I very much honor your example and I'm thankful for it. Um, let's just say, if you go back to your wedding day and you're getting to know this person and you love her and she loves you and all of the chemistry is happening and you're, you know, you're delighted to have the privilege of spending time with this person. At some point, you say to her, "Honey." You're wonderful, I love you so much. I would love to spend the rest of my days on planet Earth with you. And she says, "Is is this officially a proposition of marriage?" You say, "Well, I'm um, sure. I mean, some kind of marriage-like thing would be great." And she says, "So when's the date? And let's plan the ceremony out." And you say, "I don't. I not really know that a ceremony is necessary. Um, the idea is that we love each other." and we're committed to each other for life, and I want to spend the rest of my days with you, but do we really, really like, need all of that? We could save a lot of money if we just skipped all of that stuff, right? That's just decorations. It's not necessary. In fact, how about if I told you this story? Um, this is not what happened, so don't, don't worry. But let's just say that 14 years ago when I married my wife, uh, I said to her, honey, um, I found this really cool option. There's this website you can go on there. You fill out a form. It's really simple, like name, phone number, address, kind of stuff, and uh, you pay 20 bucks, and then they schedule a date for you. And um, then you have like a Zoom appointment with the justice of the peace, and uh, it's like five minutes or something. So, and you know, you just fill out the form, pay your 20 dollars, you can do it all online. You hit the button, and they give you the date, and uh, so then you're there. Already, you know that this is not what happened, because 14 years ago, I don't think Zoom was a thing yet. So, uh, the date comes around, you know, and uh, here, I don't even have to get off work. I can just, like, during my lunch break, I'm, like, eating my sandwich, and the Justice of the Peace comes on. Sarah can be out doing her exercise, you know, have her earbuds in while she's running. Justice of the Peace says, okay, did I get your names right? Yeah, okay, uh, Sarah, you promise." What? You promise what I can't hear you. Just say yes. Yes. Okay, that'll do. Um, Joel, do you promise? Yes, okay, that'll do. Hey, the, the, the certificates in the mail, it's all legal, you guys are done. So better or worse than the way that we did it, which was kind of like, you know, a traditional ceremony. Now, I don't know. Um, maybe the dads of daughters are kinda like, you know, twenty bucks versus a couple of thousand, maybe, you know, all right. But, but you know, as humans, we, we don't, I don't think we view that as a really good use of uh, opportunity. We don't view that as really like treasuring the institution to just check the box, right? Five minutes on Zoom and I'm done and I fill out my forms, right? It, it trivializes it to make it so simple, so easy, And that would be essentially the argument I would like to make for us this morning. How about this? When people value something as important, they show it with their expenditures, their time, their investment, yea, verily, even with ceremonies. If you care about it, you put a little more effort into it. Fair enough. And just the idea of five minutes and a quick form on Google, and I'm done, and I paid 20 bucks, and we filled it out, no, not so much. All right, so here's the interesting thing about that. We didn't just come up with that ourselves. God also shows us that he values certain things, and he shows the importance of that using ceremonies, He shows us that certain things are worth putting time, effort, attention, maybe even some cost into, because they're that valuable. And just so you know where this goes, um, in about a month or so, we'll come back and we'll do the same kind of study talking about the Lord's Supper, and, and that coordinated also with the Lord's Supper. So we'll come back to that, but for today... I would like to illustrate one of those ceremonies or talk about one of those ceremonies, and it is baptism. In fact, the idea goes like this. If I, if I, if I appreciate certain events in a human life, you know, births, we give some attention to that, uh, even like the gender reveal party thing that became a thing. Uh, And then like uh, engagements and weddings and funerals, you have certain events in a life cycle that we say these are important and we're going to make them significant with a ceremony. So it it marks the importance of that event by the way that we celebrate it or even by the effort we put into it. In the same way, the argument goes, your salvation was so huge, so epochal, so significant, spiritually and in every other way, that we're gonna mark it with something important. No, God's going to mark it with something important. Memorable, clear. Just to kind of, I'm still kind of setting this up, but um, I thought this was interesting, at least for me to process. If I think even of the core and critical commission that Jesus Christ gave to his disciples, it looked like this, go... Therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the Great Commission. It is, um, as you come through the Gospels, everything narrowing down to this as a focal point. Jesus Christ charged to his disciples. Here's what it would mean to go and follow me. Here's what it would mean to do what I've given you to do. And I highlighted in here four commands. They're not all, I I can't get into the structure of how they're all put together, but there are basically four commands here. And I would just notice or highlight here that what it means to make disciples has two components to it. Make disciples like this, baptize them and teach them. Meaning that the process of disciple making, in fact, the process of being a Christ follower is not complete, apart from baptism, right? I mean, definitively, it's not, just, it's not just like an, oh, yeah, if this helps you, you know, it's like, not like an elective optional thing. Um, a little bit later, when we get to the end of the sermon, I'm gonna, I, I'll give three applications or three, um, three conclusions, things we ought to do as a result. And one of those is I'm gonna push really hard. <laughs> if you've not been baptized, you should be, Okay. And I, I will push hard on that, and so I'm, I'm kind of warning you in advance, just so you know. Know to brace yourself. Um, but also this, just in kind of defense of what I'll do at that point, I'll just highlight, I, 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 have, I have Jesus' command to do this. The notion of me pushing hard and saying, you must be, you should be, it's not optional, you've got to be baptized, is because Jesus said, when we go out, when, when I go out, when you go out, when Pastor Nate goes out, when anyone goes out, in the attempt, all of us, to make disciples, which is what all of us are seeking to do following Jesus' command, baptism is like a non-elective part of that process. Baptize them, he said and teach them, he said. And this is what we do. Now, that, that just as like kind of the core, the command, would be sufficient, wouldn't it? And if somebody came, you know, approached you and said, why should I be baptized? Um, a, a, a sufficient answer to that would be, Jesus commanded it. <laughs> right? And I, you know, when I've heard baptized, baptism testimonies, people sharing why they're choosing to do it and that sort of thing. That's a lot of times the reason. I want to do this in obedience to Christ's command. Great, that'll work. That's a very sufficient command or it's a very sufficient basis, a reason to do something. Jesus commanded it. Yeah, that's sufficient. See, but there's a little bit more to it, I think. And I would argue that if if somebody went through the process of a ceremony and it was like, why did you do that? I was like, I don't know. Why did you go through the wedding ceremony? I don't know. What did it mean to you? Mm-hmm. Saw my friends do it, and so, you know. Um, okay. And, and in parallel with that, if, if, if someone, if, if we say, why were you baptized or why did you choose it? It's like, oh, I see it. You know, I'm, it's a command, so, all right, that's a good start. But it is the nature of a ceremony that you ought to know what it means. There's information packed into that. Um, if I built this out a little bit further, think about my comparison or my analogy to a wedding a moment ago. The interesting thing about a wedding ceremony is that it, it has like a cultural life of its own. We're familiar with weddings. We see weddings. You've gone, I mean, who knows, depending on your age or whatever, but how many weddings you've gone to in your lifetime. Quite a few, no doubt. And so we see those happen and we even see them televised and it's not just a Christian thing per se. I mean, you can see weddings done in cultures across the world in all kinds of different ways. It's a very, very broadly spread thing. Like, yeah, okay. Baptism, not so much. Baptism would be a ceremony that is distinct to Christianity. Now, uh, the thought might hit you, there are other religions that do baptism-ish things and there are variants on variations on baptism within different Christian ish sects. So there's a lot of varieties in the forms various forms that it comes. So I'll narrow that even further and I will say in in the way that we are practicing baptism. For believers, people who understand, not infants, people who have personally come to faith, we also practice baptism by immersion. In other words, you go into the water, you come out of the water versus a sprinkling or a pouring or that kind of thing. All right, in that form that we practice baptism, do you know what that means? Because by nature of the case, you're not going to pick it up from the broader cultural surroundings. You're not going to pick it up like you did with a wedding or a funeral, just kind of like, oh yeah, I see it in movies and everything else. It's fairly unique. And what that means then is that the responsibility to understand the meaning of that ceremony falls on us. We don't just absorb it, but we've got to know it. We've got to take the time to understand it and appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to give you a challenge. There's going to be a baptism service in about a month or a month and a half. And so there will be (laughs) living, breathing humans that go through the baptism process and you'll watch it. And uh, some of those living, breathing humans might even have friends, families, neighbors, relatives that come that are there specifically to watch this event. And some of those people may not be acquainted with a ceremony or acquainted with how we we observe it. So let's imagine the service gets done. You've seen the baptism, it's finished, you're kind of standing aside, you're talking to somebody, and one of those visitors comes up to you and says, hey, this was great, I enjoyed being here, and uh, that was a, I, I enjoyed the ceremony, it's really unique, I've never seen anything exactly like it, I've, you know, I've heard of baptisms, or I've seen it done before in other places, but not like this, so I'm just kind of, you know, I'm, I'm interested in religions and groups and culture and stuff like that, they say, and um, I just kind of like to know from your group, like, what, what does this mean? Like, what was the point of that? Because, you know, I view it as kind of like an interesting cultural feature, and I'm assuming there's a meaning behind the different elements of what just happened. And so, like, tell me what that means. All right. Which is really, a really cool opportunity. You have the opportunity to tell this person because they're interested in the meaning of what's going on in this very significant ceremony in this moment are you prepared? Do you know what to say? And if, if you think to yourself, and I'm, I'm not saying this to make you feel bad, if you think to yourself, I'm not quite sure I'm ready to explain to that person, no worries. That's what we're going to do this afternoon. This afternoon, I want to take you through the elements or the meaning of the ceremony. And I, I, I even, I would try to encourage you this way. I mean, would you consider, I'm going to give you five elements. I'm going to give you a passage associated with those elements. Would you consider writing them down? Would you consider put it, consider writing down the elements with the goal, and I'll come back to this at the end of our time, with the goal that you could be prepared to explain to somebody if they asked? Well, you know, probably no one will ask. I don't know, but maybe they will. And there's also this. And we'll come to this at the end of our time. There's also you. You've seen how many baptisms now, and you might see many more in your life. You're going to at least see some coming up soon. Wouldn't you want to know what it means every time it happens? I'm going to argue that as a worshiper, as a participant, yes, participant, watching and observing the baptism doesn't mean, participant doesn't mean I'm the one getting wet. Participant means I'm part of the service, I'm observing the sermon getting preached. As a participant in this, you have a responsibility to know and appreciate and yes, praise God in response to what you just saw. And there's a lot of rich meaning in this. Now, on the way there, can I say... Baptism is a very broad topic, Uh, questions I will not be able to answer in our time, the meaning of John the Baptist's baptism, the meaning of Jesus' baptism, uh, answering baptismal regeneration, the idea that you're saved through baptism. I'll talk a little bit about why we baptize by immersion, but I can't really go into that. I can't talk about the baptism for the dead in 1 Corinthians 15, 29. We don't baptize babies. We hold to believer's baptism. I can support some of that. I mean, there's lots of things we could talk about. I'm going to focus on the meaning. And the first thing I want to talk about with that is commitment. Baptism is a step of making a commitment. You, you are standing up and saying, I belong to Christ, and I commit myself to that. Here I stand. I mean, think of yourself almost like, you know, put your hand on the Bible, put your other hand up in the air, in a court of law, here I commit myself. Think of yourself standing at the wedding altar and you say, I promise, I vow. This is a, a thing I will lock myself into. Key passage on this concept of commitment is Acts two. It's the end of the passage, and this is where Peter has just preached. At the end of his sermon, he stands up, and this is the, like the, the this is like the invitation. And he comments to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. There were added that day about 3,000 souls. And a couple of just Quick um, observations I'll make from this. Number one, it's interesting how this proceeded. The people's question in verse 37, what should we do? They're convicted, right? So verse 37, I, you know, what, how do I respond to this message? I've heard the gospel, what do I do? And the answer is verse 38, repent and be baptized. Which is to say, as an answer to the question of how you respond to Jesus, Jesus' answer is, or excuse me, Peter's answer, repentance and baptism. That's how you're going to start responding to Jesus' command. Okay, if it occurs to you when I hear that, you go, no, wait a minute, I thought faith was the condition for salvation, not baptism. That's true. And in fact, we have a couple of passages that do this together, repent and be baptized, and then we have a number of other passages that will just say believe or repent, or something along those lines. So passages that support that, Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. John 3, 15 and 16, whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. So, I mean, it's clear from scripture, if you work through the passages, it's clear that we're not saved by baptism. That's not what Peter is saying. It is also, and just as much clear in this passage, that part of what it means to repent And follow Jesus is, the expectation goes, you will follow him in baptism. Another way of saying this is that the New Testament doesn't recognize the category of a person who's a Christ follower, just says, yeah, I don't really care about the baptism part. That's not an option the New Testament really extends. The notion or the the assumption is you follow Christ and you follow him in baptism. In fact, this becomes the pattern if you just keep on going across Acts, were recurring or repeating, repeated. With each conversion, you also see this baptism pattern. So I'm not going to work through all of these passages because there's a bunch of them. We just saw two of them there. But keep on going. Chapter 8, when they believed Philip as he preached the good news, they were baptized. Even Simon also himself believed and after being baptized. So the notion believe and baptized is a Pattern that just keeps on going. This is Acts eight thirty six. This is the Ethiopian eunuch. Look, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? So he baptized him. Paul in chapter nine. He arose and he was baptized. And you just keep on going. It's it's like at each stage across the gospel story in Acts, as people believe they're baptized. That's the pattern. That's the expectation. A couple of other things I'd love to highlight in there. And I mean, these passages are beautiful. I think it's fascinating with the Ethiopian eunuch. He initiates. The new convert says, hey, I want to be baptized. And I I would toss that out there on the way to where we're going. If you are a Christ follower, if you are now a disciple of Jesus, initiate it. (laughs) I mean, you go and you ask. You seek it out. You ought to want it. Look at it. Like him. Well, I want to be baptized. We'll return to that. What a privilege, though. Desire it. Seek it. It's interesting, in chapter 10, they were baptized in the name of John the Baptist, and then you notice verse 48, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So the insight out of that would be just to say, baptism is linked to Jesus, We'll return to that later as well. Acts 16.33, it's interesting that immediately after they repent or they believe, they're immediately baptized. And the pattern I've already highlighted, believing and baptized, believing and baptized. Okay, lots of things we could say across those passages in Acts. Can I say this as summary or as one way of putting these pieces together? Um, And this is going to take a little mental stretching, but give it a shot. Can you think of baptism a little bit like the sinner's prayer? And here's what I mean by that. I don't mean that the baptism saves you. Clear on that. We saw that. We talked about that. I do mean this. I've, each of my children, as they have come to an understanding in faith, I have led them in the sinner's prayer, meaning, you know, I, I talk them through, pray after, me, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. Thank you for sending your son to die for me. Please cleanse me of my sins. Something along those lines, Right. But I also recognize in each case, probably they had already come to faith before I ever led them in that prayer. I led them in the prayer because I want it to be clear. I want them to have a marker in their minds. Here is is the moment when I called on God. And, And baptism is maybe parallel to that in this sense. That in baptism, you're saying, I'm ready. I'm committing. Christ, I'm following you. I'm all in. I'm not holding back. I'm yours. You know, what helps me illustrate or helps illustrate this a little bit is is if you think of baptism in anti-Christian or Islamic countries and contexts where for someone to follow Christ in baptism means they're marked. And, 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 you know, there are all kinds of ways that people work with this, right? Because it can get complicated. So it's like, okay, maybe do we baptize them? You know, we just do it like In private bathtub or something, and it's kind of well. I mean, it's supposed to be a public ceremony. I've not I've not lived in that world, and so I I recognize there's probably all kinds of complications you work through. But I mean, it it basically goes out like this: for you to say, "I'll be baptized," you're now marked as a Christian. It's public, it's known, and it's really you can't turn back now. You stepped over the line. You're in. It's an irreversible ceremony calls to mind, again, my analogy to marriage earlier. Part of the richness of marriage is you can't turn back. (laughs) Now you just gotta work it out. You're both stuck. You gotta just work out your issues, right? Baptism is a way of saying, I commit myself in a way that I can't rewind the tape. I'm a Christ follower. I'm in, all the way, completely. Publicly, before people, I say to all of you, hold me accountable I'm a Christ follower, and if you see me walk away, you come after me, because I have identified myself with Christ now. I'm flagged, I'm tagged, this is who I am. It's it's, it's like the ring on my finger, it's a mark. And the commitment to follow Christ, then, means that you have put your whole lot and your whole self there. (laughs) I rest myself in him. First notion, then, commitment. Commitment, as represented Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and following. Second concept, and this is like a bundle of concepts, but a second concept for baptism is washing. Okay, so think back to the original notion. um, There was a history for baptism. Before Jesus' baptism and before he commanded baptism, before the baptism that we have in Acts, then we have John the Baptist baptizing people. And actually, I mean, this is really cool. I probably should have pulled a picture in here I could show you. But all over Jerusalem today, from that era, they have excavated these, these pools. And I mean, they, they kind of look like our baptistries today, basically. It's a pool that's big enough for a person to go down come back up. And there's little steps going down and sometimes steps coming out. And it's just a place where people would go in and they would be washed, And there were all kinds of reasons to do this. There were all kinds of ceremonial reasons. If you did certain things and you were ceremonially unclean, then you would be washed like this and so on and so forth. So the idea of it was cleansing. Even within Islam today, there's a ceremony when you go into the mosque and you go through a process and you you wash in a pretty thorough way because the idea is, well, I want to be clean before I go into the mosque. Okay. Well, baptism has that notion, Cleansing. The thing that was interesting about John's baptism is that he called Jews to do it. So, in John's day, the assumption was the primary people that would be baptized were Gentiles who were coming from outside, and now these unclean, defiled Gentiles would like enter into God's people, Israel. So, you got to wash those filthy Gentiles to make them part of the nation. And John calls everybody, including the Jews, to be baptized. He says, you're all in need of cleansing. Excuse me? I am an upright, law-keeping Jew and have been all my life. Thank you. Yes, you, sir. (laughs) Also you. (laughs) Okay. You need cleansing. That was the distinctness of his baptism so that you have language like Mark 1.4. It was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You must be washed. And the New Testament takes that concept and extends it out with passages like this. This is Paul. Why do you wait, rise, be baptized, wash away your sins calling on his name? Okay, the picture, it, it, it's, it's not, of course, you know, it's not that the water is literally washing anything, but the picture of the water is a picture of what happened to you, Right? And you have language that go elsewhere in the epistles, 1 Corinthians 6, such were some of you, which he's just listed a bunch of sins, but you were washed, sanctified, justified. Ephesians 5, talking about Christ with the church, he bought her, he cleanses her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, or we were washed by the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And that takes me to the passage I would give you as kind of my key passage for this concept. So second concept, washing. And a key passage, 1 Peter 3.21, which is a hard passage, says baptism which corresponds to this now saves you. Corresponds to what? Well, the context he's talking about is Noah and the ark and the water. Okay, so he's like taking that as an analogy. They were brought safely through the water. Baptism is kind of like, A parallel or a mirror to that, it now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. First comment, just to clarify, if you read verse 21 and you're troubled, baptism now saves you, the the answer goes like this. You can tell he's not just saying, like, dunk them and now they're saved. Because look at what follows, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. It's clearly a spiritual thing, not merely like, they got dunked and we're good now. Peter knows this. And you can go to Acts and you can watch the preaching of Peter and he declares to people explicitly and directly, believe on Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Peter knows this. But the idea is what I said earlier, baptism as the marker, baptism as this way of saying, I'm following Christ. Peter is saying, yeah, baptism represents this. You come to salvation, baptism marks it like the ceremony at the wedding. Baptism marks it. And the significance is it's parallel to this idea of washing, but the washing goes an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay the conclusion of that do you do you do you grapple with this and appreciate this sufficiently that when i came to christ i was filthy i mean i was sodden yeah, i was i was disgusting i came to christ and i was vile N- nobody if they could have seen me as i was would have wanted to be anywhere near me touch me have any contact with me i was nasty Oh, no, you don't, I mean, I was a nice guy. I was a hardworking guy, faithful to my family. I was, I, I'm a nice, kind, upstanding citizen guy. No, you were vile. I was vile. I was a nasty, nasty person. And and the argument of baptism goes, you want to see what God did for you? Baptism gives you a picture clean. Salvation cleansed you. Salvation made you Tolerable? No, it made you more than tolerable. It made you clean. It made you more than clean. It made you positively righteous in the presence of God. This is the power of what salvation did. And it wasn't the baptism explicitly the water, but it pictures the event. Your choice to follow Christ in baptism is a way of confessing to people. You're saying to everyone, look, everyone, I was vile. And look what Jesus did. He cleansed me of my sin. Our next component of meaning is union with Christ. And this is a really broad theme, beautiful theme. I'm going to take this as our key passage, Romans 6. And if you'll turn there with me, we'll look at that in just a moment. I just want to build the idea out a little bit. So in what sense would baptism be my union with Christ? Or in what sense would baptism show that I am made one with him? Think back again. I keep on going to the analogy of a wedding. And now the two have been one. So legally and financially and relationally and all these different ways, two different individuals that can just go their way and forget about each other if they care to, right? They have no permanent connection. Now at this point, nope, they're one person. Legally and in other respects, they're just going to be viewed as one entity, right? Kate changed everything. That's a picture for union with Christ. And I've got these kind of passages that do this. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. As many as you, of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Is This not interesting. Baptized into. What does that even mean? And the answer is the baptism process is the process whereby you are now, like a wedding, you are now viewed as one with Christ. You are now viewed in terms of him. Colossians 2, you were circumcised in a circumcision made without hands, the circumc- by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him, but see, I mean, get that language again, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. This baptism ends up being the basis of showing that you're united with Christ, And it's further than that. It's showing that you're connected with him so tightly that what happens to Christ happens to you. More on that in just a bit. Mark 10, 38, Jesus talking about his coming suffering. You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? I mean, fascinating that baptism language is the basis for Jesus describing his death, which takes us to the passage I've asked you to look at. And the logic of the passage goes, we cannot live in sin because, verse three, do you not know that all of us who have been, okay, familiar kind of structure again, baptized into Christ, have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death so that just as christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father we too might be walk we too might walk in newness of life if we have been united with him therefore in his death we shall certainly be united with him there's another with him in a resurrection like his okay the the the, the analogy of marriage the nature of marriage is such that if your spouse spends all of your money guess what you're out of money too If your spouse strikes it rich, good news, you're rich too, right? And and the fortunes that happen to your spouse, basically, yeah, it's inseparable from you. Your lot is cast in there together. And I think the logic of the passage goes, your union with Christ is so deep, so total, so complete, that the fact that Christ died means you also died. And the fact that Christ rose again means you also rose again. That can't be literal because I haven't literally died yet, but the logic of the passage goes, well, you did die in respect to sin, and you are alive in respect to righteousness. When Christ died, sin was dealt with. When Christ rose, then now there is life. There's a new beginning. There's hope. You also died to sin. You also rise again to a new hope and a new beginning, and where that connects us to baptism is if you actually follow out even the picture of baptism. I think the intention of this passage is something like that. You go down, buried, you rise again. In the picture of baptism, you're actually seeing a picture here. Christ died, so do I. I'm washed of my sins. I turn from my sins. I'm done with my sins. My old life is gone. I'm dead towards all that came before. And now I rise again and I come out of the water and here's a new beginning. It's like that picture of old life, new life, and the baptism shows you the turning point in that event. You recognize there's a spiritual reality that already happened before the baptism event. This is just picturing it. But in the baptism, watch it. And the person says, here's what happened to my old life. It's gone. And here's what happens to my new life. Out of the water I come. A new day has begun. A new life has begun. And I'm picturing that in my union, my connection to Christ. Two more components of meaning. The fourth component of meaning, baptism in the spirit and for my key passage here and we could look at multiple passages but the key passage i want to go to is 1st corinthians 12 verse 13 let me show you other passages that do this though matthew 3:11 john the baptist i baptize you with water he will baptize you with the holy spirit and fire now i come forward to acts john baptized with water you will be baptized with the holy spirit not many days from now and pentecost happened this holy spirit was poured out And so we have the language, 1 Corinthians 12, in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, all were made to drink of one spirit. Interesting thing about this concept, the concept of baptism by the spirit, it actually has deeper Old Testament roots. I can't go through all the passages, but you can just look down through here and you can see the language, I will sprinkle clean water on you and a new spirit I will give you, I will put my spirit within you. Or a bit later, when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel or Joel, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Okay, so that language of baptism in the spirit is also linked into this. Quick concept on the way. You might look at that and go, aha. So there's an option of baptizing by pouring as well. Because look, pouring of the spirit. And um, I would concede, I mean, there's an argument. People hold that view. People point that out. and So they'll argue that baptism should be by pouring. It's an argument, so there you go. Um, I I would just say if you really wanted to get into it fully, the notion of it is the spirit has been poured out and you are drenched. So that, I mean, you know, I almost could kind of like see the idea of baptism by pouring as long as the idea goes, there is nothing about you that's dry. Like there's not a dry anywhere, you are soaked, you know? So, I mean, if, if we could get into like baptism by pouring and what that meant was uh, fire hydrants uh, or, you know, a fire hose, just then, and, and, and if a denomination starts that does their baptism by fire hose, you heard it here first. Um, I claimed the idea, trademark. I mean, if that's what you meant by pouring, then I guess. The notion of baptism like this is you are completely taken over by the Spirit. The Spirit has touched every part of your life. Everything about you is now defined by him, not by you. <laughs> the Spirit now controls you. And, and with that notion then, coming through baptism is a way of saying what we've already said. I identify with Christ. My union with Christ, what happens to him, happened to me. It is also washing of my sins, and now it's this. When you come from the water, look. I mean, you're going to see the picture of this in a few weeks. The person soaked from head to foot. We're all like, you know, embarrassed. Baptism, this this is the embarrassing part of it. You come out and you're all wet. Hey, guess what? That's part of the picture. Because now the Spirit defines everything about you. Now the Spirit controls your life. And that picture of just being soaking wet is the picture of the impact of baptism in your life. The Spirit now fills you. Last concept is unity, and it's unity with the church. My key passage here, if you're writing it down, would be Ephesians 4, 5. And, and the, kind of the comparison would go, think of, like, think of like a fraternity or something, a club, you know, there are different groups that do this kind of thing. If you had a fraternity or you had a club, they have some kind of initiation right. Like, you go through this process, you do these things, and the notion is, hey, you're not one of us till you've gone through this process, okay? Baptism would, would kind of fit into that place for a believer. And the idea of this, I think, goes, it's, it's making it very clear that you don't just sort of drift your way into Christianity. Christianity is not like a thing. Like, yeah, I think I'm I'm like 30 percent Christian, but you know, 30 percent Buddhist thought helps me out, and then the rest of the 40 percent is kind of like my own ideas. It, you're not not percentage Christian. You're not percentage Christ follower. And the notion of baptism is, you say it's clear. I'm all in. Christ is everything to me. The result of which then is that you're united with the church. You're part of God's people. And the language that fits this, 1 Corinthians 12, I'm I'm highlighting the word one. In one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, right? We have unity as a church because we all went through this door together. As many as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That means there is no other category that's important as much as this one. You are all one in Christ Jesus, or the passage I gave you is the key, Ephesians 4. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And the picture of it would go, as you look across a body of believers, everyone within this room that is a Christ follower, everyone that is truly one of his disciples, the assumption would go, every true believer is a Christ follower who has been baptized. And so you look into the other, the eyes of that other church member And you remember the day when you were baptized and the day when they were baptized. We've entered through the same door. We've entered through one baptism. We've all experienced the same thing. And this baptism marks us. I've been marked by baptism. You've been marked by baptism. We've come through this. And now we are one body, one church. We're united, oneness, because there is one baptism. Now, let me put the pieces then together and, and then make application just to get all of those pieces in front of our eyes. I mean, you can see each one of these, not as a separate idea, but as five closely connected, oriented, related ideas. The meaning of baptism looks like this. It's commitment. It's washing. It's union with Christ. It's the spirit. It's unity with the church. Multiple passages that support each one of those things. And I just chose some key passages for each. And I'm going to finish out our time with three applications. Application one. If you haven't been baptized, you should do it. I mean, you like you really, really, really must do it. Uh, Back to my my scenario earlier, the guy who says, "Yeah, I love you, honey. I want to spend the rest of my life with you, and you know you're the one I want to be with." Okay, And, and at that point she says, "Well, then let's get married." And he says, "I don't think I don't need marriage to show that I love you. I can just love you. Like, why encumber it with all this other like official stuff?" And the the bigger question with that guy goes if you really do love her, why would you not marry her? Right? If you really do love her and you want to be with her for the rest of your life, why would you not want to affirm that publicly and, and irreversibly? So I'm just going to take that across to baptism. And the, the question I'm going to press here is to say, if, if you view yourself as a Christ follower, if you view yourself as a disciple of Christ, Why would you not want to do this? If you view yourself as a Christ follower and Christ gave a command and he said that all who are my disciples, I expect them to be baptized. Or another way of saying it is if this ceremony communicates and it does, these five things that we've talked about, you have an opportunity to stand up in front of a body of people and say, I commit myself irreversibly to follow Jesus. This is what's happened to me. Look, everyone, here it is. Hold me accountable. And I'm, I'm saying to you in this event, hold me accountable if I turn away. I am following Christ. Why would you not do that? And I could press this further. I can think of different reasons that a person could feel kind of awkward about baptism. It's embarrassing. You know, there, there's a water thing. I, there's all of this stuff that goes in that. Okay, um, this is going to sting a little. (laughs) Here it is. Your Savior hung on a cross naked for you, mocked by crowds, and bled out. And that was just the stuff you could see. Because what he really suffered was the wrath of Almighty God poured out for your sin, and it all fell on him. It fell on him until it crushed him. So is there, is there an awkward component to baptism, I guess? Just remember what he did. And remember what that meant. And then you follow him. And you accept this as a way of saying in front of people, yes, I'm connected to Jesus and I'm proud of it. And I want you all to know it. And that's part of the richness of the privilege you have. Think of baptism as preaching This is your opportunity. You may never preach a full-length sermon in your life, but you're going to preach the day you're baptized. Because in that event, you're declaring to that whole body of people, look at the richness of salvation, and I'm going to preach it to you loud and clear today. Here it comes. I'm going to be baptized. This is your opportunity to declare what Jesus did for you. Second application. I trust that you're a person who's already followed in baptism, if you have appreciate what happened at that day. I don't just mean the day of your salvation, but every time you see a baptism, there's a, there should be a sense, and there is a sense of rejoicing. Hooray, I see this person following Christ. Beautiful. And you rejoice in it. But it's not just rejoicing in their salvation, it's rejoicing in yours. Because in that event and what you watch happening, you say, yes, God washed me and cleansed me from my sins. I died with Christ. I rose again. And in that moment, I was filled with the Spirit. The gift of his presence was on me. And now I follow him as part of his one body, his church. And as you watch the baptism, it's a picture reminding you of the beauty of what God did for you. And when we have this baptism coming up, the point of this then is that you ought to sit there, you ought to be able to rejoice in what you watch, and you ought to praise God for the beauty of his plan. And so my last application is really simple. I gave you these five components. I'm happy to print them for you, or send them, or email, or, you know, however. Would you consider this? Would you consider taking those five ideas, those passages, and a month or a month and a half from now, when the baptism service comes, would you pull out your notes, Would you pull that out and just mentally go through it really quick? Get it into your head again. Get it into your heart again. And as you watch that baptism, to be able to watch it through this framework and rejoice in what it means and worship God, this is part of the way that we preach and that we hear the beauty and the message of salvation. God has given it to us as a gift in the ceremony. Let's rejoice and let's appreciate and praise him for what he did